joining Associated Luxury Hotels International for our next episode of Beyond the Meeting Room, hosted by Alhai's President and CEO, Michael Dominguez. Each episode, Alhai shares candid conversations on a variety of topics to enhance both your personal and professional life. Today's episode is made possible by our partners at Biltmore Coral Gables. Recently renovated, graced with effortless beauty and sophistication, the Biltmore Hotel is a National Historic Landmark located in the exclusive Coral Gables neighborhood with close proximity to Miami Beach and downtown Miami. The resort features spectacular Mediterranean architecture spread over 150 acres of tropical landscape and is one of South Florida's ideal sites for leisure and business travel, high-level corporate briefings and public policy conferences, and is an extraordinary wedding destination. In today's episode, we are joined by Lori Cohen, CEO of ECPAT USA, the leading anti-child trafficking organization in the United States. In this poignant discussion, Lori shares how pervasive human trafficking really is, key signs to watch for in day-to-day life, and how you can make an impact to stop this horrific crime. Let's listen in. Well, Laurie, thank you for joining us. And, you know, th- this was a conversation that um, not only was I excited uh, to have a conversation with you to catch up a little bit, but uh, also it was a it was a conversation that I'm excited about um, our listeners being able to understand, you know, something that you're so passionate about and work that good work that's being done and uh, us being involved in uh, ECPAD and, and the work you're doing around the around the globe. But, um, you know, thank you for joining us. Um, I, 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 I have been passionate about this, uh, this issue and this conversation. Couldn't be more proud that uh, Al High joined the code recently, but um, I think many of our listeners don't quite understand or know uh, the problem around human trafficking, how pervasive it is, um, how widespread it is. And I think the more we can educate, the better off we're going to be and, and really uh, combating what I, I tell everybody is just modern day human slavery. And how, how are we as a society really prepared to do that? But um, can you give, give, give us a little bit of a, an overview of the size and scale and scope of the problem? Because again, I think many people don't know. So Mike, I just wanna thank you so much for inviting me to speak on behalf of ECPAT USA and also shout out to Alhai for joining the code, which I'm, I'm excited to be discussing with your listeners uh, about during this podcast. The, the number one question people always wanna know, this question of how big is the problem um, is a really interesting one because the, there's so many different statistics out there about what does this look like? How many people are trafficked? How many people are trafficked internationally? Um, how many people are trafficked locally? How many people are trafficked in our own city? And really the only honest answer is we don't have good information. Right. So I can tell you that there are estimates about this being a $150 billion a year industry, or that it's the, in in some studies I've seen, it's the number two uh, largest organized crime operation in the world. In some places I've seen it be number three. 
So the number one crime operation is, is drug trafficking and uh, human trafficking is either beating or tied with arms trafficking um, as the second uh, most prevalent crime. And what's interesting about that is the, the reason it's so attractive to criminals. Well, there's, there's several reasons. Um, one is that generally, unlike drug trafficking and now even arms trafficking, there's just much less general information out there about this crime. It's harder to detect. The risk for traffickers of getting caught is much lower in many cases. And, you know, shout out to the hotel industry for trying to change that factor. Um, but the other piece that makes it so attractive is that when you sell drugs or when a criminal sells arms, that's a product that has to be moved and sold and you know, manufactured and then delivered. And then once it's delivered, it's consumed, it's used, and the process has to start all over again. What criminals like about human trafficking is that human being is a commodity that can be used over and over and over again. So um, I come to this as a lawyer who represented many human trafficking victims. And as part of a, like criminal investigations on their, these cases, we would calculate out how much traffickers profited off the bodies of my clients. And I would find that with a, you know, a 22 year old woman who had been trafficked starting when she was 16 years old, um, you know, the trafficker, and say she escaped by the time she was 20 or 21 when she finally came to me, and a trafficker could make $2 million off her body. Right? Just sell her over and over and over again until she breaks down, until her body just can't physically withstand it anymore. So it's extremely lucrative. Um, and it's a, it's, a massive, it's a massive problem. Um, but at the end of the day, it's, it's because it's hidden. Right. Uh, it's hard to get good data. You know, it's, it's, um, it's amazing to me because as I started to learn about this, um, you started to understand how pervasive it is and, and what you just said. I mean, how lucrative it is for, you know, the criminals. And uh, I, I think it's interesting it, what I've been seeing. And maybe maybe it's just because I, I'm more aware and, and I'm starting to, you know, r really uh, notice it more. But, you know, Lori, what I've been excited is I've been seeing a lot of uh, progress where I, I saw multiple busts in Atlanta and then there was a major bust in Southern California where they were taking down and rescuing people at the same time but multiples and I remember the number in Atlanta was somewhere in the 60s and I, I know it's a small number in the bigger picture but um, can you talk a little bit what struck me was the coordination that was necessary because there was a coordination of so many different agencies on something like that but for people to understand the hard work that's going into these communities, you know, to, to try to fix this problem. Absolutely. It, 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 to end this issue, to end the exploitation of people, um, whether it's for sex or for labor, because trafficking can take both forms, um, it certainly takes a, a communal effort and a global effort. 
Um, one of the things that ECPAT USA really appreciates is, you know, we are not a rescue organization. We don't hold ourselves out to be a rescue organization. We educate, we engage in advocacy, and we have really valuable partners. And um, and and the hotel industry is an extremely important important partner in that effort. Um, so yes, we absolutely we need law enforcement. Um, over the years, when I was representing victims, I developed very close working relationships with the police. I uh, came to this work actually accidentally. I'm an immigration lawyer by training, and some of my closest allies were members of ICE. And that's a very unusual place for an immigration attorney uh, to be. But I grew to really appreciate the fact that, that they were playing a fundamental role in protecting my clients, many of whom were undocumented immigrants, but um, really were crime victims and, and in need of, of that kind of protection. Um, it involves coordinating with hospitals, with teaching emergency room physicians, and perhaps even more critically, uh, nurses and social workers, what do trafficking indicators look like so that if someone comes into your emergency room with a wound, um, how to screen whether or not the, that wound might be uh, an indicator. Um, it involves working with school teachers and principals and guidance counselors so that if you're a high school teacher and one of your students is missing a lot of class or coming in as sleep deprived or shows up with a new tattoo or changes their style of dress in a dramatic way, that that teacher is alerted to the fact that this might be uh, an indicator of trafficking. Um, it involves service providers. We, again, we are our education and prevention but we work very closely with organizations that run shelters, that provide legal services, that offer counseling. So it's a, it, it, it takes really a, a vast effort and a piece that is often overlooked, but I really think is so important is engagement with the private sector, right. that the private sector plays a key role. And unfortunately, I think that is overlooked. And I, I think to make an impact, there needs to be continued work along the lines of what the hotel industry has started and now what Alhai is is really um, moving forward under your leadership is is we all have a role to play and we can all join together to disrupt this crime yeah you know i, I it's funny because out of all the things i've done um as far as initiatives i've taken on in the past and such th this is the one where my youngest daughter uh, couldn't applaud more because she is a social service worker and she started in spe special victims and she's studying to be a forensic nurse at the moment. And this is kind of a passion for her. And um, I, I had a cousin that, you know, when we, we uh, you know, we posted about end it now uh, earlier this year in February. Um, when I posted that, my cousin sent me a note and said, I'm so glad to see private enterprise involved in this. My, my cousin was DEA and, oh. um, and he told me that was assigned to special victims at some point. And he spent a lot of time here and he said, it's nice to see private enterprise getting involved in this because it's, it's such, it's so necessary. And he said what you just said, 
He said, the more we can get private enterprise understanding, communicating, educating, the better that we're going to be at trying to, you know, tackle this problem. Yeah, it's essential to have private enterprise. And if I can add, um, without embarrassing you too much, to have a man take a leadership role is essential. Uh, you know, for many years, I, I just attended too many meetings where we were all women right. talking together about this issue. And, you know, not many of those women were really in a position to be influencing the men in our lives. And I just really applaud you and other men, um, particularly men coming from private industry to say, look, this is, this is a human rights issue. It's also just a very smart uh, business approach to you know, making sure our industry is safe and yeah. making sure that our industry does not allow this to happen because it is the right thing to do. It's a moral thing to do. It's a just thing to do. It's also just very smart business practice. Yeah, yeah you know, I appreciate that. And yeah, I, 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 um, I, I literally came to this determination through, through COVID you know, from an industry perspective, we, we've had a large pulpit and people have looked to us for education on how are we going to meet? How do we move forward? How do we do this safely? What I do know, and we were talking about this briefly before we started is, you know, we're, we're starting to move to the other side of this pandemic. And we know there is a, an end to this at some point where we're going to get back to some normalcy in our lives. It, this is where we made the decision to say, now, how do I take the pulpit we've built? How do we take the, the, this huge megaphone that people are paying attention to and use it for another cause? And that's where it was like perfect timing to say, now that I have your attention, I want to talk about another issue that is, is plaguing our industry. And, they, and, and you know, most importantly, Laurie, why I'm so passionate about it, I think the people that participate in our industry as travelers, as convention goers can have a large impact on such a pervasive issue if they're just paying attention and, and, and pervasive issue. And, and this is why I'm sitting there going, this is why I'm so passionate about it because I, I, I have too many people say, I want to help. I don't know how. And that's where I think, you know, why did we sign up to the code? Why are we doing this? Because we're going to help educate. We're going to help teach them what they can do to help. Um, I, I think one thing's interesting and you and I talked about this right when we were getting ready to talk about us signing up to the code, but the unattended consequences of some of the things that have happened during COVID. And, and what I mean by that is the technology advancements we're seeing in hotels. Uh, you and I talked about this at length. You know, a lot of our training was around the front desk and about being able to capture behaviors and when people are checking into hotels. And, and as I've traveled through this time frame, and I've traveled, by the way, 39 times since July visiting our hotels, looking at the protocols, what's going on. And you know, when we talk about this issue, they all say the same thing. What has become problematic is mobile check-in, um, electronic keys, where in certain hotels, they're just bypassing the front desk completely. And that used to be one of our main places, you know, that we could actually look at behavior and catch it. And can you talk a little bit about that? Because it really does change um, as we start to see, some, and I always say some unattended, con you know, you said something else and I'm making an assumption here, you can correct me, but when you talk about what used to happen in schools, well, when kids aren't in school, we're not catching that either. We used to depend on teachers in a school system. And I know this from my daughter when she talked about uh, uh, child abuse in, in homes that abuse didn't drop when you see the drop that we've seen in numbers 
what's dropped is our ability to identify it because a lot of it was identified in going to school. And, and another, as I say, unintended consequence of all of the things we've been dealing with around the pandemic. Is that somewhat accurate or some thought to it? You are, I'm, my head is just shaking and shaking and shaking. I wish <laughs> we were on video for this, but um, no, you're spot on in, in so many ways. So when, when the pandemic hit, uh, ECPAT USA closed our physical office. So this was last March and uh, immediately after we closed our office, I learned that the many of the school districts around the country were also closing their doors. And we sprung into action because while people were very focused, as, they, as is understandable, they were very focused on spreading the, the virus and making sure that they were taking action to prevent the virus from spreading. And we immediately mounted a campaign called Safety Beyond Handwashing. And it was realizing that when children are out of schools, when the doors are closed, when teachers are not there, when school nurses can't see why a child has a bruise, when children don't have access to guidance counselors to explain why they're struggling, um, that creates huge risks for children who may be living in homes where they're being abused. And in, in many cases, uh, traffickers are outside individuals. They might be romantic partners or people who hold themselves to be friends. Um, but in, in some cases, it's family members who are trafficking these children. And um, so those, those kids were being more isolated. The other thing that happened was that as schools moved to a virtual platform and all learning was happening online and all socializing was happening online, children became much easier targets for online recruiting for sexual, sexually explicit imagery. So we realized there's a whole trend of catfishing where someone will assume a false identity and uh, befriend a child, whether they're playing a, a group game or whether they're in an Instagram uh, chat group. And create this false identity and befriend a child. And it is extremely common for children to share naked images of one another. If they like someone, it's become a form of flirtation with some kids. If they like you, they'll oh, send wow. a photo. Um, and it's starting younger and younger. Um, and, and some children, because their brains are not fully developed, that the idea of doing this, it feels harmless that it's just to this friend who they have and it will just be with them. And so what we wanted to do is roll out a program to explain to children, not in a way that demonizes technology because the technology is here to stay. And there's so many benefits to the technology. We're using the technology today to have this chat <laughs> and it, it can be a teaching tool, but we wanted to explain to children healthy behaviors and the consequences of sharing those kinds of images. Um, there had been a study that was done in Wales of these kind of catfishing recruiting behaviors. And the study showed that a child could be persuaded to send a sexually explicit image in 18 minutes from meeting oh. someone. So for me, as someone who worked with trafficking victims where the trafficker would go through a process that's called grooming, 
for two years to, to win someone over to learn now that this, this technology is so impactful and it works so quickly and children are so vulnerable um, that 18 minutes all is all it takes to have an image that's uploaded and then shared on the internet with thousands and tens of thousands of people who are, are trading in these, it's called child sexual abuse material, um, is, is really terrifying. So we didn't want to terrify people, but we wanted to educate. So we rolled out a series of guides. The first one we did was for children, and it was uh, very uh, heavy on graphics and images and just kind of fun pictures, but just would teach kids about basic safety. Then we learned that parents were interested, but the parents didn't have the sophistication their children had to use the technology. So we could talk to kids about privacy settings, but parents don't necessarily know how to adjust their privacy settings. <laughs> right. And so then we did a more detailed guide for parents, which I believe we shared with Alhai early in the pandemic. You reached out to us right away to say, what can you share with your community? And that's the kind of leadership we really appreciate to, that we were creating this material. We want to get it out to as many people as possible. And so we sent that out. Um, and then we had it translated into Spanish and Chinese, and now it's been translated as well into Vietnamese. And then finally, we created a third guide for educators. So if teachers were leading classes on Zoom or if there were other platforms that were being used for teaching, what kind of things could they look for? What kind of patterns could they look for to help protect children, even though their interactions with them were virtual and not in person? So we um, definitely moved in that in that realm for schools. Um, we also, as you noted, started speaking with hotels and talking about best practices. And it, there were challenging conversations because hotels in, in the spring of 2000 were just getting decimated by the virus that people weren't traveling anymore and staff were being laid off and um, the industry was struggling with, with basic sanitation. And so I actually did have to travel during the pandemic. And I noticed that the door of the hotel room that I was staying in had a tag showing the room had been sanitized, that there was a plastic cover over the remote control. There were stickers in the bathroom to show that the bathroom had been sanitized. And um, I asked about like preventative measures for sex trafficking. And I was told, well, we don't have the bandwidth, like we have to focus on COVID. And my sense was, look, if you like sanitizing the remote control is a good step, but if a child is being sold for sex in that hotel and there's no security anymore and there's no one at the front desk anymore and you have 50 men traipsing in and out of the building to purchase sex with a 14 year old kid, then besides it being a criminal activity and you know a horrifying situation, you're not doing a lot to prevent the spread of COVID because now you have all these people, <laughs> have all these people coming in and out. So sanitizing the remote control is not going to be enough. And um, you know we've tried to raise this, um, uh, you know, at, at the risk of sounding callous about it, 
because uh, you know ultimately we want to protect children no matter what the health conditions of the world are like because it's wrong to exploit children but if the focus is on public health and safety then this is also a public health issue right yeah you know it's interesting because you i i i feel for the hotels that's what you just said uh what the hotels have had thrown at them in this year and for somebody who spent their life managing and being in the hotels i get it and the properties are so right now even trying to ramp up Lori, it's staffing how do we get staffing back and how do we get back to some normalcy in the hotel and candidly um you'll find with me even the timing of things with me is very strategic there's a reason we're having this conversation now as hotels are starting to ramp back up so that we get this back in focus uh because of what you just said i mean the focus was all COVID all the time. And that's where I, I was. And understandably, that's not a, a criticism because, you know, there's a lot of things that kind of got thrown to the side. But as you said, this is a this is a human rights issue. This is a public health issue. This is an issue that goes well beyond, you know, what people may think is just an isolated, uh, an isolated cause. This This is something that is very, when I say pervasive, it's pervasive and to me over overreaching. It, it, it kind of is broad in, in its scope and scale. Absolutely. And, and the issue of child sex trafficking well predated COVID. Um, unfortunately, it is inelastic to changes in the economy. So right. child sex trafficking last year was flourishing and it was fl- even flourishing in hotels because I, I did have the opportunity to speak with law enforcement Early in the pandemic, a lot of law enforcement was decimated. The units that often investigate these crimes, those officers were sick. (laughs) They were out with COVID or they were covering for general crime unit groups. And and some of the anti-trafficking units were temporarily suspended so that officers could be reassigned to cover other places where there were just too um, too many agents who were out sick. So what was happening well i i had seen in my work uh, a very familiar trafficking pattern where uh somebody could dial a number or answer an ad and order a girl to be delivered to a location and um and it's called delivery it's a delivery model and you could order you know you could basically order a, what time you wanted her to be delivered, how long did you want her to be delivered, how many people were going to be at that location, having sex with this child. And um, I realized that you could, like, what, what was everyone doing during the pandemic? Well, everyone's ordering delivery for everything, right? right? So now this is, you know, going to be just massive delivery and and calling in and so why not call in delivery to a hotel room especially if that hotel no longer has staff at the front desk right you know, especially if the security detail was laid off because there just weren't enough customers uh, or guests staying in the hotel to justify having a full security detail so it it became a huge opportunity to sell people and exploit them and know that they wouldn't get caught because there was so much less law enforcement available. Um, I, I think what's important about this is to say that this was not something that now we can say, well, COVID is ending, people are vaccinated, hotels are ramping up again. Right. 
Um, I think the problem is going to continue. And one thing that I'd love to continue discussing with you is I, I suspect that in, in many cases, jobs that were lost in the industry may not come back if, if there was a shift to technology and that technology has been efficient and helpful and remote check-in maybe is working in a lot of places. What can we do to make sure that if there were fewer eyes and ears in the hotel in any given property, um, how can we make sure that those locations remain safe? And I, I know that the hotel industry is really committed to having safe premises for their guests. Yes. So what do we, like, how do we have conversations about what does safety look like? Because the way we'll be identifying this will look different. Yeah, and I think that's the complexity coming out of this is what's going to be most effective, what's going to be most impactful. And yeah, you know, Laurie, that for the people that are listening to us, I, when you talk about, in my eyes, if you're really going to attack this, how, how do you make progress in this new environment is we have to have an army of people and the army of people are the people staying with us. They're the people that are going to see things in the hallway that just don't look, feel right. And the reason I'm bringing that out is for the people that are listening, you know, what should they be looking at at an airport? What should they be looking for? You know, as far as behavior, things that when I say odd, that look out of place, because I know there are uh, a lot of uh, telltale signs that you literally have educated on and this is what you teach on but for this audience listening i mean they travel a lot what should they be looking for and how can they help so we look at potential indicators if if you're looking at an adult and a child um and i i just want to be clear about something there was a lot of misinformation that also circulated during the pandemic i think people were scared everyone was nervous there was a lot of tension and there were a lot of rumors, um, and there were a lot of rumors about children being snatched in parking lots of right. shopping centers, or you know somebody is looking at another person in a funny way, or someone's being followed in the aisle of a supermarket. You know that that's generally that's not what uh, human trafficking looks like. Human trafficking often is built on the exploitation of a relationship, and it can be a family relationship, it could be a close friend, it could be a neighbor, um, it could be a teacher, it could be a person who's a, a religious authority. I mean, people that we normally trust, people who we normally believe in, and people who we don't suspect, right? So it's, it's not the, generally, it's not the person who's giving you weird looks across the produce aisle, which, you know, we received, uh, you know, we received a number of messages about people being afraid that their kid was going to be trafficked. And um, we did spend time explaining to folks what, what do those indicators look like. Um, so if someone is traveling through an airport, or if someone is in a hotel lobby, or if someone is even as you mentioned, if they're walking down a corridor, um, you know, what is that child look like? Is that child malnourished? Is that child poorly dressed? If that child, and it's not just, is the child not wearing fancy clothes, but is the child wearing clothing that's really not appropriate for the weather? Um, so if it's um, really cold out and the child's wearing just like very skimpy clothes, well, look, I, I have kids and I know sometimes my kids, my boys, 
um, when they were little had a, a game with each other who could wear shorts in the winter for the longest amount of time. <laughs> like they, they were not the brightest children. I have to, I can say that because they were mine. Um, but, and we lived in Michigan, so it did get cold. Um, but if so, but, but that is an indicator. And so you might say, all right, that child is not well-dressed for the weather. Um, does that child look malnourished? Does that child look tired? Um, if, a, if, a, if someone is checking into a hotel, are they carrying luggage or is everything in a paper bag or a plastic bag? Like, what are they carrying? Um, what does the relationship look like between the adult um, and the child? Does the child look fearful? Is the child not engaging in eye contact with the adult? Is the child looking away? Um, you know, is the adult answering everything so that the child can't say anything? Um, and then, I mean, indicators that maybe a hotel guest wouldn't necessarily know, but, you know, is the adult requesting a room that's close to an exit? <laughs> so, you know, easy access to, to leave the building. Um, how is that room being paid for? Is it being paid for with a credit card? Is it being paid in cash? How many nights is it being paid for? Um, you know, we've heard uh, people in hotels talk to us about what, what an average stay would typically look like in their location. And if someone's staying for a significantly longer period of time, um, that might be uh, an indicator. So, I mean, there are a range of things and we include information about all of these indicators and more on a free um, e-learning that we are hosting on our website um, that really is geared for the hotel industry. And it was uh, with the support of the American Hotel and Lodging Association and Marriott that originally um, had this as a separate training and, and realized just before the pandemic hit that it was important to make this available as a free resource. And um, I also, I wanna thank you for sharing information about that because that uh, it's an opportunity for people to train and learn about these indicators. I, I think it's interesting too, because what you just said is um, you, you talked about eye contact. And you know, it's one of the things I've noticed and it, it, it was the thing that worried me the most is in the middle of this, anyone who was traveling, especially at first, they were afraid to look at anybody. It's almost when we were in this this COVID scare. If you were traveling through that time frame, I, I had to remind people. It's like, okay, it, it's you're not going to get COVID from looking at me, right? But but everybody right. would turn their head down. Nobody wanted to make eye contact. It was the oddest time frame I've seen around be, human behavior, and that's not being critical. I I get it. My concern is some of those behaviors become habits, and we travel and we quit paying attention to what's around us. And yeah. you know that that's a message I always share with people. You know, my, my mom, everybody teases me because my mom is the nosiest person. When when you look at her, she's watching everybody. But I always tell people, but my mom's not only observant; she has great intuition. And when she knows something's off, something's off. And um, I say that that I think people just need to travel and make sure they're. We've always said it, be aware of your surroundings, but not just for your safety, but for the safety of others. And well, I, that's a message I deliver. Yeah, I'll give you a personal example that I just was reflecting on recently when I was thinking about our online training. So I mentioned that my background was working with trafficking victims who were immigrants. And um, 
I had to meet a client's child at the border to bring him into the United States. He needed an adult to accompany him across the border. So I, I flew down to the border, um, met him for the first time. He was a delightful, adorable little boy. Um, and he and I, it was a very efficient, I, I had planned on it taking the whole day because I had heard all these stories about the border. And the, basically they processed the paperwork in about five minutes. They were very nice, very efficient. And we left, so we had the whole day free. And I thought, what am I gonna do with this little boy? Well, he looked really hungry and he was very thin and he had no luggage. He just had this little knapsack. And I said to him in, in my American accent, it's Spanish, do you wanna, have you ever had pancakes? And he said, no, I don't, I don't know what pancakes are. I said, all right, let's go have breakfast. And so we went to a restaurant and had breakfast and we were chatting away. And our server was, watching us and I hadn't realized she was watching us but she was watching us really closely and then at some point she just came over very politely and just started asking me questions about why I was with this little boy who so clearly was not my child mm -hmm. um and not I it actually was extremely masterful I, I mean I just I think about it now um and I just explained that I was his mom's lawyer and I was bringing him back to meet his mom and you know she started crying and said oh I was so so relieved I'm so happy you know and um you know I didn't uh and I just realized that it it's okay to observe and it's right. okay to watch and I you know at the time I think she said oh I thought maybe you had adopted him she did a good cover for it <laughs> But I realized she was just looking out for this kid. And I'm so appreciative that she was watching and taking note. And it wasn't a normal situation. It was a strange situation that I was with this little boy and he had all the indicators. He had no luggage. He was <laughs> hungry. You know, he wasn't He was dressed. thin, you said. <laughs> he was really thin. He wasn't dressed to wear clothing to go back to New York. I mean, it was just... Um, yeah, it was it was really great. So I, I kind of want to go back to the border and thank her. But uh, <laughs> I, I just I, I think it's a good it's a good role model of, of we can all play a role in just, um, you know, watching and and I would say, you know, I, I wouldn't recommend that people try to be a hero and, uh, you know, disrupt this. But if she felt like it were really not safe, then you call the police call the authorities and exactly. just let people let people do the work who are trained to do more of an investigation um but uh yeah how to how to take appropriate acts and and it just made me realize we can all be heroes in this way yeah and and i think it's an important message you just said we're not asking anyone to be a hero that way uh you can be a hero by watching observing and calling the proper authorities if you think something's off. And, you know, to, to me, I always say, if for some reason we misstep, the worst that's gonna happen is it'll be embarrassing to somebody. The best that will happen is that we can stop something that is just a travesty uh, that is ongoing as well. So there is that balance to it, but but I, I agree with you. I, I applaud people and, and that would be my mother. My mother would be asking you 30 questions and she wouldn't be doing anything more just to say that ain't right. And then she would be going on and calling somebody else if she felt it wasn't right, you know, right. on the answering. And, and I just, I, I, I think we've become the society that we're so sometimes afraid of offending that we won't even ask the questions if we think something's off. 
And I think that's an important distinction as we get into this discussion. If you're, if you really see something that's off and specifically around children in this issue, it's okay to ask a question. And yeah, and so in, in my, general. like, for example, in my circumstance, if I'd gotten really surly and said, it's none of your business, go just right. pour me some coffee, then, you know, that then she can go and call the local human trafficking hotline and report it and say, look, I don't know for sure, but I don't like what I'm seeing here. And, yeah. um, you know, and then if I get up and walk out, like if I try to run out the door with this kid in tow, <laughs> then dial 911. I mean, it's just, you see how they're like, I, you know, I'm not suggesting everybody start doing both what your mom would have done and <laughs> what the server had done. But uh, I, I just, I thought it was done really well because I didn't feel defensive about it. Actually, I was really excited. I was excited that I was bringing him home to his mom. Yeah. And, and you know, it's interesting. You just mentioned somebody else in the service industry. And that is the whole point of this is us in the service industry, we come in touch with a lot of people. And specifically, that's why we're so committed to this cause is we, we have an opportunity to teach people, you know, our servers, our, our, our front desk staff, our housekeepers, our engineers that go into a room to fix something. Um, are, you know, the housekeepers that may go into a room to clean something, <laughs> you know, it's, what are you looking for when you're entering a room or anything along those lines? And I think we have that opportunity, but I, I always remind people, you as travelers, you have an opportunity. If you see something's off, just let the hotel know. All you got to do is let the hotel know because we, we are trained and have the staffing to be able to go investigate pay a little more attention and know it. And, and that's, that's, I think, to me to ask, you know, when I see people and when I'm saying that you're in a hotel and you're seeing site, you're walking down a corridor and you see something that's off, let the hotel know. I walked down the hotel, you know, I walked down the corridor, I saw something that didn't seem right. I just want to let you know that, that that's all you have to do is drop it with us and then let us do the heavy lifting. And um, I, I think that's, to me, one of the biggest messages I'm sharing with people, you know, is if they're in an airport or they're on an airplane and they see something, it's off, just let the, let, let the flight attendants know, let, let somebody on the plane know. Um, you don't have to do anything yourself, except let people know that something's off or you think something's off and then leave it there. And if it's I mean, nothing, it's nothing. No, absolutely. I mean, one thing I heard this year with um, occupancy and hotels being so much lower and fewer eyes and ears on the premises to watch things was that um, a number of rooms that were being booked were being booked to host these massive parties. And in these parties, there was a lot of illegal activity that was happening. Um, and my concern was some of that illegal activity might also include child sex trafficking of having kids being brought in. And you know, I, I think it's okay for other guests to notify the front desk that there's a party happening because they may not, they may not know, uh, you exactly. know, one of the, one of the hotels I was in, there was nobody at the front desk and um, it's a, it's a, it was a challenging year. I hope that we're emerging from it. Uh, and I, I see in many ways that we are now, but going forward, I, I think we can think about a partnership. What can other guests do um, as they're working with, with hotels and let, let other guests know that hotels do take this seriously and they don't want these activities happening on their premises. Yeah, I, I appreciate that. Cause I, I think, you know, I do think we have an opportunity and I'm, um, I'm not, uh, I always say I'm not Pollyanna. I, I don't think we're getting, uh, we're, we're going to all get rid of this by uh, us just committing to it, but I think we can make a difference. And I think we can, 
Um, one, bring awareness, bring alertness uh, and education. And uh, to me, more importantly, you know, we may save somebody. And uh, if we can do that, then we've, we've accomplished at least our small part. Uh, but, you know, you have our commitment. We're going to continue to um, continue to educate. You, 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 you'll be very pleased to know we've been having these client events. And at every client event, we take an opportunity. And we've we had our own end it pin. Oh, pen created that we give everybody and I wear mine consistently on my suit and what I love is people are like what's that and it's why I wear it so that I can actually take an opportunity and educate them and we we make sure we we take a moment at every one of our events to educate and let people know and what's really nice Laura and this should excite you I've never had that that a moment where we've made an announcement where I didn't have people follow up later how can I really? help? What can I do? That, that they are engaged with it. And that is what makes it exciting for me because I know we can make a, it, even at every event, if it's only 20% uh, of the audience, it's 20%. And we're going to continue to grow and continue to build that. But it's exciting to actually see that people are enthused to be, be involved here. It is. It's, it's thrilling. I think it's, um, and it, it's really what has to be done. I mean, I think there just needs to be a consistent message and that it's not acceptable in any way. And, um, and I, I appreciate how consistently you have been a champion, um, both at Alhai, but also before. I mean, just this has been such a part of your life and, and we so value that kind of leadership. Well, I, I appreciate it. I promise to keep leading and uh, please lean on us where we can help. Uh, and Laurie, I mean, thank you for, you know, blessing us with your time and your knowledge and experience here, because I think the, these are the important ones that this whole podcast was put together and, and it's called Beyond the Meeting Room, because it's not talking about meetings in general. It, there may be some connection to the hotel world, but it's really talking about all these other areas that are just the tentacles of our industry and what it touches. And I just think these are important conversations. So thank you for joining us. I can't wait to visit you in New York. I promise to do it soon. Well, thank you so much. Looking forward to trying on some cowboy boots with you in Dallas. <laughs> <laughs> you got it. I know where to take you. We'll make Excellent. That <laughs> thank you. Bye thank now. Thank you, Lori. Have a good day. Take care. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to Beyond the Meeting Room from Associated Luxury Hotels International. Learn more about human trafficking and how you can take action at ecpatusa.org and thecode.org. Today's episode was made possible by our partners at the Biltmore Coral Gables, located in the heart of the exclusive Coral Gables neighborhood in Miami. The Biltmore offers amenities including a restored Donald Ross 18-hole championship golf course, tennis courts, the largest hotel pool on the east coast of the United States, a European spa, and a renowned fitness center. Alhai is a global sales and marketing organization representing the finest luxury hotels, cruise lines, and destination management companies. For the latest industry news and to see Alhai's robust global portfolio, visit our brand new website at alhi.com.